Thank you so much for that. Beautiful. Appreciate that. That's a song I don't think you can hear too many times. And uh, just always is an encouragement and a blessing to think the fact of the fact that God will always win. Take your Bible this morning. Let's go to 1 Corinthians and chapter 9. 1 Corinthians and the ninth chapter with me today. Look at the last few verses, familiar verses, I think, to most of us, but helpful, I believe, uh, for us today. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting with verse 24. We'll read to the end of the chapter. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. Paul writes, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. The Apostle Paul appears determined to have a victorious finish to his life. There's a passion in his words. There's conviction in these words. He is determined to run the race that is before him well, to finish strong. Well, how did he do? I mean, this is written here in 1 Corinthians 9, still in his ministry, preaching here to these at Corinth. How did Paul do? He sets out an agenda for his life to finish well, but do we know how he did? Well, we can go to 2 Timothy. We find Paul in prison. We find him writing those closing words to Timothy in the fourth chapter. No doubt Paul can hear the clanking of the Roman chains of the guards as they make their way to his prison cell. For Paul will soon be beheaded by Nero. And Paul writes those final words to Timothy. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that how we want it all to end? None of us here wants to be a quitter statistic. Nobody in this room wants to be the next sermon illustration of someone who failed. It seems to happen a lot. And it can happen to anybody. It can happen to anybody in this room, student, faculty, staff. In fact, hold your place here and let's go to the book of Colossians for a minute. I want you to, to think with me for a minute. The book of Colossians. This book has a lot of instruction in it. But throughout the instruction, there is sort of an underlying theme that seems to be very personal, 
that seems to be directed at individuals. And I think you'll see that as we kind of pick out a few verses here and there in these chapters. That you'll see there's a repetition, there's a, a restating of something over and over again. Notice chapter 1 and verse 10. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord. That's a, a powerful point in a message. Walk worthy. That entails an awful lot. To walk worthy of the Lord. To walk as a Christian. Someone who represents Jesus Christ. That walk encompasses an entire life. For our testimony of our walk can easily be ruined in a moment. And so Paul is letting these folks here know to walk worthy in the Lord. He goes on in verse 10, unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. There's this idea of, of staying at it, of finishing, of being consistent, of getting to the end of the journey with a good testimony. Verse 22 of chapter 1 in the body of, the, of his flesh through death to present you holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. That one day at the end of the race, we could stand before God, pure, holy, faithful, without blemish, having served. Look at chapter 2, verse 6. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Here's another admonition to this walk that's important once we're saved. Then he goes on in verse 7 of chapter 2, and he says, Rooted, built up in him, established in the faith, as ye've been taught, abounding with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Boy, he's telling them there, don't get sidetracked in your walk. Don't get sidetracked in this race. Don't let the world pull you away. It, it can happen. And so he's saying, get rooted, get established, get grounded, get firm, get steadfast. Be careful. There are going to be people trying to pull you away. Go on to chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, if you then be risen with Christ, in other words, if you're, if you're a child of God, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on the things of the earth. Again, reminding the reader here, the Christian here, to, to keep their, their eyes in the right place, their mind in the right place, to not get in, infatuated with the things of this world. Set your affection on things above this world. Don't get pulled away. All through this book, there's this, this theme that Paul writes about about his own life back in 1 Corinthians 9. And of course, Paul is the author of this letter to the Colossians. But notice how it's signed, chapter 4, verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you.
Nicodemus? Think of the instruction that Demas had received about staying faithful, about getting rooted, about walking worthy, about staying the course. He's there as this letter is written. He's heard these things come out of Paul's mouth over and over and over and over and over. But Bible scholars believe that 2 Timothy was written about 12 to 18 months after Colossians. And we read those infamous words in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. The very thing that Paul had instructed the very thing that Paul had warned, the pleading to walk worthy, to stay steadfast, to get rooted, to get grounded, don't, get, don't let the rudiments of this world pull you away. Be careful of the philosophy that's around you. Be careful. How many sermons like that did Demas hear? Puts his name on the letter as they send it off to the church at Colossae. But Demas hath forsaken me. So the pressure is there, isn't it? So how does Paul finish well? Demas believed the same thing Paul did at one point. He puts his name on the letter. What was the difference? There are three keys, I believe, to Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 as we go back there. Three keys to a victorious finish. And I'm not talking about next Tuesday. I'm not talking about the end of the semester. I'm not talking about walking across this platform and getting your diploma from pastor. That's not the finish I'm talking about today. We're talking about the finish of your life. How do we get there? I mean, you think about what we have heard in chapel this year. You think about the messages that you and I have been privileged to hear this year. We've gotten a lot of good instruction. And we have sat here day after day and allowed the Holy Spirit to come into our lives with this instruction and begin to mold us and to make us into the Christians we want to be. We have sat through church service after church service. We have sat in, in class after class. We've been in a, on a campus that has an environment that fosters spiritual growth. We've heard all these things as Demas did. But within 12 to 18 months, Demas had forsaken. Paul makes it all the way to the chopping block. So what's the difference? What's the key? How are you and I going to keep from being that statistic of the Demas world? 
be maybe one of the few, like Paul, who would finish well. Three keys, I believe, in Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 9. I see, first of all, a determined focus. In verse 24, he sets the stage here of this race. He's relaying the Christian life, relating the Christian life to someone running in a race. And he says in verse 24, so run that ye may obtain a determined focus. Verse 25, he talks about the, the, the Olympic runners doing it for a corruptible crown. The crowns in the Olympic Games in those times were wreaths made out of, out of, out of natural vines. They would be crowned with that wreath, but within a few days, that wreath had withered and died. It was practically worthless, a corruptible crown. But we, an incorruptible, a determined focus. Now, when you think about Paul, Paul didn't have the greatest of beginnings to his race. He was a Pharisee a self-righteous Pharisee, one that thought he was right in what he believed, but was dead wrong, thinking that he could get to heaven somehow by fulfilling the law. And it wasn't until that dramatic experience on the road to Damascus that Paul recognized his need for Christ and was wonderfully saved. But even upon his conversion, things don't start all that well because none of the Christians believed he really got saved. They were afraid of him. And so Paul began to preach, but nobody wanted to go hear Paul. They thought he might be an imposter. He might be faking it. He might be just seeing who's coming to church and kill us all after the service. And so they were hesitant toward Paul. And so the Lord had to set him aside for a bit, some training, some time to go by for his testimony to be established. That couldn't have been an easy time for Paul. This zealous Pharisee who now has the right message, but God is putting him over to the side for a bit. He's uh, needing to be trained. We find Barnabas coming along and bringing him to Antioch and spending a whole year there with, with, with Saul and teaching him the ministry. And certainly even after he begins as a missionary from that church in Antioch later in chapter uh, 13 and 14 and forthgoing, there were some bumps in the road. The argument with Barnabas about John Mark was not a, a good time in the ministry for Paul. Later, he seems to admit that he was wrong about that. Paul wasn't the perfect Christian. Paul wasn't the perfect man. In fact, in Romans chapter 7, he said, we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal, sold under sin. For that which I would, I do not, and that which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that which I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, and the evil that I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that which I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. And he comes to the end of that passage and he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And Paul is not this super uh, Christian that never sins. He has his struggles. 
He battles that flesh. And yet, he is focused. He is, he is in his mind determined, in his focus. What does he say in, in Philippians chapter 2? He said, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I know who I am. I know my weaknesses. I know, I know where I have a flesh and where it attacks. And I know that I'm not perfect. And I know that I had a slow start. And, and I know that I'm not the best preacher. I know that my speech and my preaching is not with enticing words of man's wisdom. I understand all that. But I'm not apprehended. But this one thing I do, notice the focus there. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. There was a determined focus to reach the end of the journey with joy. None of these things move me. Neither count of my life dear to myself that I might finish my course with joy. Students, where's your focus this morning? We've heard all these things, but where's your focus? I went to Watertown High School in Watertown, Wisconsin. When I was in junior high, the football team was, was amazing. And then a dearth hit about the time I started high school. Our freshman team, we had 60 guys. And we had a fairly successful freshman season. We weren't allowed to play on the varsity as freshmen in those days. And, um, but we had, we had a pretty good season. But our varsity, they fell off the end of the table. And I mean, we'd go to those games and they were awful. They lost every game. My sophomore year, several of us on the freshman team were from the year before, were promoted to the varsity our sophomore year, but we were terrible. We lost every game. My junior year, we lost every game. Watertown High School had lost 21 straight games going into my senior year. We were the laughing stock of the conference. People saw us on their schedule. They already put the W there. <laughs> you know, they were terrible. After our junior year, there were only five of us left from the 60 that had played on the freshman team. Five left. Some because of injuries had quit. Some because they were involved in other things or had girlfriends or whatever. Five of us got together at the end of my junior year. And we said, you know what? We gotta change something. We gotta get focused on football. We wanna win. We gotta get serious about this. And I remember the five of us talking and we said, let's have a goal. Our goal was not to go undefeated. We'd lost 21 straight. Our goal was not to win the conference. We'd lost 21 straight. Our goal was to have a winning record. Now we had eight games on the schedule. That meant we were gonna have to win five. Pretty outlandish goal. I remember us talking, how are we going to do that? And we said, we got to get focused on this. So this summer, we're going to practice. We, 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 we can't practice with the coaches. That's not allowed, but we, we can practice. 
So every night at nine o'clock that summer, we went to Clark Park and we played football. We didn't just play scrimmage, you know, pick up a scrimmage. We, we worked on drills. We worked on skills. I worked an eight-hour job every day, plus was on a farm doing chores early before my job and after my job got over, and then going to play football from 9 to 12 every night. Next morning, back up at 4, all summer long. We started the year. We got the football team in the locker room, the juniors and the sophomores, with us five seniors. We stood up in front of them. Coaches weren't there. We said, guys, we have rules. We were, we're going to have a winning season. But we got to have some rules. So number one, no drinking. Now the school had rules, but nobody enforced them. We said, no drinking. You get caught drinking, you're off this team. Doesn't matter what the coach says, we're taking you off the team. Secondly, nobody's out past 10 o'clock at night. Unless it's a away game, we get back after 10. Everybody's in, at their house at 10 o'clock. We're setting a curfew. 10 o'clock. Third rule, we only had three rules. No drinking, 10 o'clock curfew, no girlfriends. No girlfriends. You say, Brother Gatch, good night. Well, the year before, we had guys in the game waving to their girlfriend in the stands. I mean, you, you, you're not focused. So he said, no girlfriends. Tell your girlfriend, if you've got a girlfriend, tell her you'll see her during basketball season. No girlfriends during football. Those were our three rules. Played our first game against Racine St. Catherine. Powerhouse Catholic school in the Milwaukee area. Got killed. 22 to 6. 22 in a row now. Now we've got to win five out of seven to make our goal. Second game against Stoughton. Suburb of Madison. We won, 12 to nothing. I scored the only touchdown in my entire 10-year football career, tackle eligible. Caught it in the end zone for the first score of the game. We won that game, 12 to nothing. Third game, Heartland, we won. Fourth game, Kettle Moraine, 35 to nothing, shut him out. Fourth game, Hartford, ranked seventh in the state, all-state fullback. Scores 13 to 12. They're driving. They, score, they scored to make it 13 to 12. They went for two to try to win the game because nobody played for a tie in those days. There was no overtime in football in those days. You could tie, but nobody likes to tie. Jerry Kramer, famous Green Bay Packers, said tying is like kissing your sister. And so <laughs> nobody played for a tie. So they went for two. Everybody knew that fullback was getting that ball, and somehow we stopped him. We won that game 14 to 13. Or 13 to 12, I'm sorry. So we're four and one. All we need is one more game. Next game was on the road against West Bend, suburb Milwaukee. It was a rainy night. After warm-ups, we went back in the locker room for final talk, we found out that our defensive tackle, Dale Schultz, his parents on the way to the game were hit by a train, were killed. 
took every bit of energy out of our team. We had no heart to play. I mean, one of your friends was getting in a car and going, going home. We lost that game badly in the rain. Two games left. Homecoming against our rival. We got behind early. Fourth quarter, I got hit in the ribs. I cracked two ribs. Didn't tell anybody. Kept playing. We got beat. 19 to 6. We're now 4 and 3. I didn't tell anybody about the ribs until Monday film session. One of the assistant coaches, he said, are you okay? That, that film didn't look like you. I said, nah, I, I got hit in the ribs. Don't tell anybody. I want to play that final game. We got to win. We got to win. Final game, we were up, we were up seven to nothing. <clears throat> we got to score early. The rest of it was a defensive battle back and forth. I could barely breathe. Had my whole body wrapped up, trying to keep those ribs in place. They began to drive toward the end of the game, and they scored with no time on the clock. Game ended with them scoring. So it's seven to six. They have the right now to kick the extra point and tie us or go for two with no time on the clock and win the game. Like I said, nobody played for a tie. And so they lined up for two, and somehow, some way, we managed to stop them. We won that game seven to six. Focus. Focus. What are you focused on in your life? No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. There were many times during that season we could have said, we're not going to get there. We're not going to make it. We might as well forget our dream. Remember Lot's wife. Memorize that verse. It's real easy. Remember Lot's wife. Luke 17, 32. It's there for a reason. You've got to have focus. You can't take your eyes off the goal that God has set before you. There's not only a determined focus, but I see a disciplined fight. In verse 25, he says, the man that is striving for this mastery is temperate, notice, in all things. He's temperate in all things. The devil doesn't care how he gets you out of the race. Notice in verse 27, I fear less by any means. He said it again in, in 2 Corinthians, I fear less by some means that, that, that Satan uh, uh, tempts you. And hinders you. The devil doesn't care what kind of means he uses. Listen, some of you are disciplined in your academics, but you're undisciplined in your morality. Others of you are disciplined in your morality, but you're undisciplined in your finances. Some of you are disciplined in your finances, but you're undisciplined in your health. Some of you are disciplined in your health, but you're undisciplined in your friendships. You've got to be disciplined in all things. 
The, the, the runner that's going to win, the runner that's going to get to the end, the runner that's going to get the crown is the one who's temperate in all things. Look, you may be godly, but you have to study. You have to pass your classes. You got to have a GPA to get out of here. You might be the best Christian in the world, but you have to study. You got to be disciplined in all things. Look, you may have a 4.0, but you have to be pure. If God's going to use you, it's, it's not based on a 4.0. It's all things. You may be a nice person, but you have to pay your bill. <laughs> it's due today. <laughs> Look, if an offensive tackle in the, uh, the football team, if he knows every play in the playbook, but he refuses to lift weights, he ain't going to play. A basketball player that scores 30 points a game but refuses to play defense is not going to be in the game at the end of the game. You can't afford it. You got to take him out. He's a liability. Why? Because he's not disciplined in all things. We can't choose where we want to be disciplined. This person who finishes is in a disciplined fight. But then notice finally a key, a dreadful fear. In verse 27, Paul wraps this up by saying, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. I think the thing that kept Paul going more than anything was the fact that he didn't want to get to a point in his life where God couldn't use him. What drove him through the thick and the thin, through the hard and the easy, what kept Paul going was the fact that he knew that one day he was going to meet his Savior. And he didn't want to disappoint the Lord. Maybe he had Matthew chapter 5 on his mind as he wrote that, where it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, it is good for nothing but to be cast out, trodden under foot of men. Paul didn't want to lose that savor. By the way, a salt loses its savor through contamination. When salt isn't salty, it's because some other element has gotten into the sodium chloride and, 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 and taken its savor. And Paul didn't want to get to that place where he would be cast aside, where he would be put on a shelf where God could no longer use him. There was a dreadful fear in his mind that he would somehow fail his Savior who had never failed him. So are you going to make it? Oh, you'll make it till Tuesday. You're doing well. You're, God has saved you early in your life. He's worked in your life. He's brought you to Bible college. You're in a good position, but there's a lot of game left. You'll get to Tuesday. You might be sicker than a dog by the time you get there, but you'll make it. You'll survive the semester. I'm confident of that. Where will you be when God calls you home? If you're going to get there, you got to be determined in your focus. You got to be disciplined in the fight in all things. 
And you got to keep in the back of your mind that dreadful fear that when I preach to others, I myself could be a castaway. 